Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 19. If you want to turn there now, it can be found in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 878. I want to extend my greeting and good morning as well. My name is Nathan and I'm one of the pastors here at MPC. It's my privilege to bring God's word this morning. I did want to just say a special thank you for those who've cared for Jess and I the last couple months. We just gave birth to Della January 25th, so are thankful for all the meals and kind words and letters that people have written us. Uh, I didn't know how I would like having all these meals. I love to cook, uh, but you know, something I love more is being able to scoop up my girl uh, and spend all that time. So it really does mean a lot. We are so thankful to be cared for well in this church. Uh, We have just finished a series, or at least the first part of a series on the life of David from 1 Samuel, and we'll actually pick up the second part of that series in 2 Samuel after Easter, but today we're going to continue that kingly theme for our Easter series, now focusing on the greater David, King Jesus. Jesus is better, as we just sang. So today... Uh, We are going to look at what is known as uh, Palm Sunday and Holy Week, the first of these events. And we know that Luke is one of four gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Not even Jesus' birth is included in in all four gospels, but this story is included in all four. Uh, So this event is important. Uh, Luke, we know, was likely an artist and possibly even a painter. He's certainly an artist with his words as he paints a beautiful picture of power entering Jerusalem in an unexpected way. So I invite you to join with us in this journey this week as we consider this most remarkable and most moving scene in the life of Jesus and perhaps in all of human history. If you want to understand Christianity... If you want to understand Jesus, it begins here in this story. So Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage, or as we say in Alabama, Bethpage, and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees 
And the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this story. We can't trust ourselves at times with our expectations. You have answered us and have become our salvation. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it and glad in this story, this picture of authority and humility. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, an amazing thing happens when a king visits our city, visits D.C. I have a friend who works in protocol at the State Department. She gave me a few highlights of what happens when a king comes to town. The first, of course, is we clear the airspace around our area. And they usually land at Andrews Air Force Base, where I serve as one of the reserve chaplains. And if you've ever been on base when a VIP arrives, you know they don't just shut down the airspace, but they close down all the access roads on the ground as well, all around the perimeter. Second thing that we do for these dignitaries is we provide them housing and transportation to the Blair House. Uh, The Blair House is the president's official guest house where they have 15 staff waiting on their every need, four executive chefs ready to make up any dish that they so desire. It's like a five-star hotel. And then, of course, there is a full receiving of the guests at the White House, Uh, They literally roll out the red carpet. Hail to the chief is preceded by four ruffles and flourishes before the president enters. And then the head of state, the king, enters in with similar fanfare, often played by some of our own musicians in the army band, the Pershing uh, band. That is the scene we imagine when a king comes to our town. But on this occasion we see a different kind of entrance. So let's enjoy our way through this story as we see the type of entrance that Jesus would have us see. And the first point we see in this story is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Since Luke 9 verse 44, we're told Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem. He was laser focused on this week. The disciples were buzzing about his trip to Jerusalem and about this kingdom that was coming. In chapter 19, verse 11, we're told they were buzzing because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. James Taylor had Carolina on his mind. Jesus had Jerusalem on his mind. And we see from verse 28, They began in Jericho, and Jesus went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. And then he stopped at Bethpage and Bethany. Look with me at verse 29. We know these towns are about two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus was staying with his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom he had just raised from the dead. But Luke 
He doesn't focus on any other details except that of Jesus' unusual request. What is his unusual request? We see it in verse 30. He sends two unnamed disciples saying, Go into the village where entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Go, bring it to me. A young colt, a donkey. In verse 31 and 32, he tells them where to give it, and he even gives them his national Emerald Club card, and they comply, finding his reservation just as he told them. Jesus has just walked 13 miles from Jericho to Bethpage, and now Jesus dispatches two unnamed disciples to rent a car for the last two miles to Jerusalem. So you might be thinking, that is an odd request. What are you up to, Jesus? You could have flown directly into DCA, but you flew into BWI instead to drive the last few miles. And you got, it's not even a convertible, but an economy class car. Jesus, at least get an upgrade. So what's the big deal? This hardly compares to an official state visit. But we need to look at two details in this story to begin to understand what is going on. The first is Jesus' actions themselves. Jesus is making deliberate claims to the throne by his actions. We remember a few chapters back in route to Jerusalem, Jesus encounters a poor beggar sitting by the roadside who cries out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. That beggar was just a bump in the road on their journey, but in this moment, he was Jesus' destination. And we're told that Jesus heals him literally with one word, see, demonstrating his power to heal. Power that could only come from being a rightful heir to the throne of God. And on verse 30, we see another display of this power in his prearranging of the donkey itself. We know from Numbers 19, Deuteronomy 21, that only a king could commandeer an animal like this without raising suspicion. And of course, anticipating his disciples' questions, because he even knows himself this is a weird request, Jesus says, If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You're to tell them, the Lord has need of it. And it's not just any cult, but one that no one had ever yet sat. And those are important details. Animals like this that had not been ridden were regarded for sacred tasks. Jesus is saying something by riding this donkey. Everyone is following his commands. The two unnamed disciples, the owner of the donkey, and even the donkey itself. Jesus is Lord of all. He is in total control of the situation. He is the son of David proclaimed by the beggar. He is the hoped-for king that they longed for. He is the Lord of all. The second thing we see to be able to understand what's going on is the people's response. 
And in verse 37, we see it says the multitudes were spontaneously rejoicing. Why? For all the miracles that they had just seen. Literally, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And there were rumors that the new king had arrived to town. And so they come to him and lay their cloaks on the donkey and begin to lay out their cloaks on the road before him, rolling out the red carpet, as it were, with palm branches. The scene resembled something of a coronation. And the words, Hosanna, were on their lips. And from Psalm 118, where we've been reflecting on this morning, these words, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus He accepts the praise of the people. He wasn't modest about accepting their adoration. What a deliberate and glorious scene painted by the artist Luke. Jesus is clearly claiming divine authority as a king by his actions. The king has now come, but his rule and his reign, they look different. That brings us to our second point. Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is a different kind of king. Power entered Jerusalem in an unexpected way with a humble procession. And perhaps nothing highlighted this humility more than the very donkey on which Jesus sat. His actions riding into Jerusalem invoke the Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know a little bit about the context of this passage in Zechariah because we have Dr. Bill Fullove on staff, our Old Testament scholar. And uh, we know that the king here rode a donkey because there were no more threats and enemies in their city. That's why he was riding a donkey there then. So Jesus rode a donkey in a different way because... He rode a donkey to face the threat and the most powerful enemy to come, even death itself. And so Israel would have been expecting a conquering military leader to come into Jerusalem to overthrow the powerful Romans and to set up an earthly king kingdom just like King David had done. But instead, they see a divine Messiah riding in on a donkey, not on a war horse with a conquering army behind him, but with a multitude of hurting and broken people lining the streets. And so we see in this story and so many other stories in the New Testament that Jesus combines paradoxical character traits that we wouldn't usually associate together. In this story, we see his authority and his humility. We see his meekness and his majesty. We see his manhood and his deity. 
we see his strength and we see his weakness. And Jesus had made this journey many times before, but this time was different. Jesus had come to his nation's capital to die. And in this story of Palm Sunday is the good news in a nutshell that Jesus, by his own authority, gave up his life willingly with humility. In a humble way, he gave up his life that we might have abundant life and to have it eternally. And so this Holy Week, consider this different kind of power that means everything to us. As Charles mentioned, we have a Holy Week devotional for you to take home today. And I really want to commend the children's ministry family companion as well. It says ages four years to sixth grade, but I know that I'm going to use this myself. It has a great uh, outline to help walk you through the devotional liturgy. And so work through these devotionals as a family with your coworkers, with your friends, and discover that Jesus is a different kind of king. And although Jesus is a different kind of king, Jesus is the king we need. And that's our third point this morning. Jesus is the king we need. There are two contrasting responses to Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem. And then a third option that we'll consider as well. The first is those who revere him. We see that group in verses 36 and 38. Uh, We often look at this passage from the disciples' perspective. Uh, Dave and I actually thought about preaching this sermon from the donkey's perspective. Maybe next year. We didn't quite get there. But this year we want you to think about this moment from Jesus' perspective. See, Jesus looked down on the ones who followed him. He looked upon them, the poor, the needy, the downtrodden, and he found them, as John Calvin said, fit heralds of his kingdom. Fit heralds of his kingdom. That's what Danielle was talking about, that Jesus came for the outsider, those who are on the margin. And this message is for the least and the last because Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, but he came to save sinners like you and like me. We are the least, the last, the lost, and the lowest. And so who are his disciples that we see lining the streets shouting Hosanna? It's the poor. It's the humble. It's the vulnerable. It's the blind Bartimaeus. It's Mary Magdalene. And it's dead Lazarus who are leading in praise. Because a different kind of power yields a different kind of people as well. Jesus cares for the lowly and the least. And that's you and that's me. Will you admit that you need him? This morning, 
The second response we see from Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is those who reject him. In verses 39 and 40, we see and remember back like those who tried to muzzle the beggar just a few chapters before, the Pharisees try to silence the disciples. And you can hear their attempt to rebuke the disciples for their part in this royal procession, saying this, Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Even though Jesus was right in front of them, they failed to see them They fail to see him as their king. And isn't that so often true of us? Friends, sin is tragic blindness. It's failure to see the king that is right before our eyes. Standing in majesty, yes, and humbly sitting on a donkey. I love Jesus' response to them, these Pharisees. He tells them if they weren't shouting, the rocks would be. He's saying, as it were, that look at me. I'm the one who calmed the seas, fed the thousands, healed the brokenhearted, and raised Lazarus from the dead. This was not a moment for silence. And when we see Jesus for who he really is, our hearts can't help but burst with praise. And so do we see him as he is this morning? Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Will we join these multitude in the chorus of worship? And there's a third category, not mentioned here in this text, but worth noting. You may be here this morning neither revering nor rejecting Jesus, but remain skeptical of Christianity. Welcome. We're really glad that you're here. This story is an invitation to you to discover the Jesus of the Bible, not some caricature. One of the arguments for the historicity and reliability of the Bible is the paradoxical nature of Jesus in this very story. If I were making this up, I know I would have created a different kind of hero, one who had tanks behind him and a conquering army ready to overthrow the evil power. But that is not the way that Jesus enters Jerusalem. And we believe as Christians that we aren't saved by believing a certain point of view, but by believing certain things that happened. We have no gospel apart from facts. And Holy Week is an event in history to be reckoned with. And Palm Sunday, the beginning of this Holy Week, is an invitation to us all to enter into the kingdom in the same way that Jesus did, with humility. Instead of us saying, I am the hero on my war horse and I can do it, a Christian says, I'm not the hero of my story. Accept me because of the true hero, Jesus, and what he did. 
One pastor says, Salvation is the rightful king putting himself in the place of the servants, dying for us, taking the penalty for us. This story reminds us that God condescends to the donkey and he condescends to us today as well. Jesus is the king, all right, but he is a different kind of king. He loved his people too much to just save them from earthly injustice. Instead, he came to save us from our sin and death through his own sinless life and death. Jesus is the king we needed, but he's not the king that we deserved. Jesus didn't enter into his nation's capital the way that we would have expected. He emptied himself of glory and he became sin who knew no sin that we might have peace with God and peace with one another. It's a different kind of power and it makes us a different kind of people. Let's pray together. As the psalmist cries out, we bless you from the house of the Lord. God, we thank you for being our king. And we give thanks to you now. We don't deserve you as the hero of our story, but you loved us the same. You are amazing, God, beyond our expectations. But you are the king that we need. We pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.